Welcome to the Neurodiverse Love Podcast. I'm Mona, and I was married for 30 years in that relationship for 32, and we didn't find out we were a neurodiverse couple until our 29th year of marriage. I've been divorced since 2018, and we have an amazing 25, almost 26-year-old daughter. And today I am joined by another AANE certified therapist, Stephen Robertson. Stephen, welcome to the podcast. Uh, Good afternoon, Mona. Pleasure to be here. Oh, I'm glad to have you. And I usually like to start the podcast by asking our guests kind of what brought them to work with neurodiverse couples. So I'd love to ask you that. And kind of why you decided to go for the AANE certification. Can you share that with our audience? Yeah, of course. I mean, uh, first off, a lot of uh, identification with your uh, introduction there. It it took me uh, almost a lifetime to to get a diagnosis for uh, what I like to call uh, Asperger's uh, syndrome. Um, And uh, I was... uh, Came over to United States as a fresh-faced fifty-year-old, uh, uh, very excited about doing a marriage and family therapy program. Uh, you know, with a twin track, uh, looking at art therapy, and it uh, it started off very badly. Uh, the first day, it went very badly, and uh, subsequently, it just got worse and worse. And I was uh, incredibly curious uh, what was actually going on. So I went to a therapist, uh, uh, as one does, you know, for the uh, transference, counter-transference, to to figure that one out. And uh, the the therapy session was a little bit like um, a verbal jousting match, didn't go very well. Mm -hmm. Um, And it got to a point where where I was telling the therapist about my sleep routine and it went something like I have to have a very dark room very cold room and a very silent room and the therapist kind of pricked up he he got quite excited and said Stephen have you ever done a test for autism I was like oh my god it's the only thing I've never done I've read every self-help book there is Uh, I've been to ashrams in India and all the rest of it and I took the test. Marvelous. Uh, I, it was like my highest score in any kind of thing. And I was like, wow. Um, so I got quite a lot of uh, life experience. Where would it best to deploy this experience? So I started off my uh, therapy practicum. Uh, you know, I was in a, a school district somewhere. And the first boy, it was this young boy came in, must have been about 10 or 11 years of age. And we we kind of started off the session and I thought, this young man is an aspect. I I just kind of, my Mm -hmm. eyes uh, opened and, uh, you know, the the, the school district kind of came to me and said, you know, what's happening with this boy? Nobody, Nobody has ever been able to figure out what's going on here. I said, uh, it'd be useful if he was get some accommodations for uh, autism type one. So they uh, gave him like one or two uh, accommodations, started working with him through uh, 
neurodiverse lens and all of a sudden he kind of appeared as if uh, brand new. So uh, so at the end of my program, I, I really wanted to be uh, involved working with uh, individuals and couples with uh, where, where there's a, an Asperger's profile. And, uh, you know, I uh, looked at about 100 jobs. I mean, that, that there was agencies, a length and breadth of uh, the state of California. And uh, I saw one uh, job which really stood out at the neurodiverse couples counseling center. And I had a, a wonderful uh, interview there. And uh, one of the good things to come out of my, my master's program was that I'd written a thesis on what it was like to be an autistic person mm. in uh, a master's program. And uh, I think when my boss read this uh, thesis, uh, a lot of things clicked into place. And I began immediately working with uh, autistic individuals and autistic couples. And I was like amazed that I saw you know, myself reflected in these, uh, these people. And uh, moreover, I saw my relationship with my ex-wife uh, replicated over and over again. And I really want to be very, very uh, effective. And I wanted to be the best therapist possible and I was looking at resources and there's all kinds of things out there there's uh, you know the Gottman approach for couples um, what else is there there's uh, in, was it internal family systems with Richard Schwartz um, there's uh, just trying to think of um, I mean, there's Im quite Imago, the Imago, yeah, you've got it there. I mean, there's a bunch <laughs> of them out there, and yeah. like, I mean, I was kind of spending hours and hours kind of going through these uh, these things. I mean, I I, I did like the, the the Sue Johnson, the emotionally focused therapy. You know, I mean, I, I really saw the the dance in uh, a lot of the couples that I was in. You know, one is pursuing, the other is withdrawing. Of identification, but it just kind of didn't get mm -hmm. the it didn't get what I wanted because I wanted something which really gave uh, both partners, uh, you know, the autistic lens. I mean, I, I had women who'd been with guys for 20 30 years, they figured out that uh, they were in a neurodiverse couple's relationship and they'd been with their. Uh, six and seven therapists already mm -hmm. doing as we've described in Margio and emotionally focused therapy and I mean then I, I have uh, clients who can quote these systems back to me these systems didn't work all the time and I was like I was looking at that gap and I was asking myself what well, is not working so I uh I found um a a n e uh Asperger's autism network over there in uh Boston, Massachusetts, and uh, I, I did uh, both of the courses as quick uh, as possible. You know, did, did the very basic course and did the more advanced course, you know, when I was working with fellow uh, practitioners. And mm -hmm. uh, it was amazing and it really uh, enhanced my practice very very quickly and it, it forms the bedrock for what I do and as soon as I 
do an intake. And um, my intake is a little bit different to other therapists, perhaps it may, may be useful to, to talk about that some. Mm -hmm. I interview the husband and wife separately because mm. their stories are so radically different. I agree. That's awesome, Stephen. No, there, there, there is. Uh, it's almost as though there are two strangers in a relationship, in a marriage. And I really want to honor the sacredness of each person's individual experience. I, I, I'm not there to judge. I'm, I'm there to really lean in with empathy and, and, and love to really hear those uh, stories. And the therapeutic uh, tools that I got from AANE have just been invaluable to really create a framework for both partners to come in to see each other. I mean, I think the duck bunny picture just really kind of sums up a lot of the dynamics of relationships in an image. We move that picture around, we enable both partners to see that there are two perspectives which are happening in the relationship exactly the same time. And, uh, you know, I saw how my own marriage um, unraveled almost mm -hmm. in slow motion. Uh, let's, let's talk about that. Let's talk about that a little, Stephen. I love, first I wanna, I wanna um, just say thank you first for being vulnerable and for being so authentic and sharing, you know, that you were going through your own journey and you were open when the therapist asked you if you had ever done any kind of online assessment for autism. And, you know, you saw yourself when you started doing that assessment, you realized, you know, you scored high and you were open and not everybody who is asked to take an assessment either by a therapist or their partner is as open. So first of all, I love that you saw that there was a gap in the therapeutic models that you had had training in. And you saw that there were things that were missing that needed to be addressed when you're working with neurodiverse couples. So thank you for that. I really, really appreciate you sharing that. And then I'd love to go a little bit more in depth with two things. Um, I'd like to talk first about you were saying about perspective taking and how important that is and some of the tools that you learned through the AANE training. Um, and then maybe we can apply that to your marriage, which uh, you had shared ended in divorce. So do you want to talk a little bit about how the duck bunny uh, picture works and why perspective taking is so important for you as a therapist and for neurodiverse couples to understand? Um, yeah, of course. Uh, thanks for that uh, opportunity to expand further. Um, you know, before I um, entered the world of uh, Autism. I, I I was enormously uh, frustrated, and uh, so were many people around me. And I I, I had numerous uh, examples throughout my life course of uh, failing to understand another's perspective, and uh, they unfortunately failed to 
get mine. Uh, so, uh, as you so adroitly put it, the, the, the duck bunny uh, picture it very quickly um, shows us in a, in a very kind of immediate sense the, the gaps in uh, an understanding. Um, you know, it, it's very much about perspective taking and uh, as uh, Simon Baron Cohen will tell us, uh, it's all about theory of mind and uh, it's very difficult to explain this because, you know, oftentimes the, uh, the, the partner with the Asperger's profile uh, can get very defensive and be reactive. You know, I'm or I'm being nagged, I'm being criticized, and we will we'll inevitably push back. Mm. And uh, you know, oftentimes it's the female partner who's uh, on the neurodiverse side. She's extremely frustrated, extremely upset, and rightly so, that uh, she's not got the, uh, doesn't gain the emotional reciprocity. She really wants to, to kind of nurture herself and, and grow herself. And, uh, there is an immediacy in this image. There is a realization that, that both partners can see, see, their, see, see their own point of view and see the other, at the point of view of their partner at the same time. And you know, oftentimes this is really the first time where, where both partners are, are, have seen this idea uh, you know, at, at the same time. And there is uh, almost a, uh, you know, with the realization that, that there's uh, an invitation to hope because it's, it's kind of quite a playful image. I mean, it's not uh, a very uh, serious uh, Renaissance painting. I mean, it's not as though we're looking at the the, the Mona Lisa where it's a simple, accessible image. And I, I, I think that kind of the, the slight humor in it kind of does invite, um, you know, does does invite a little bit of levity, does invite a little bit of the, the vulnerability that, that, that we've talked about in our uh, in, in our conversation today and and, and it kind of uh, for me it, it invites the next step you know I, I kind of practice some active listening uh, you know I use some of the uh, you know some of the perspective taking techniques which are uh, taught by AANE uh, um, and then we go into those techniques, the, the, the technique of question, answer, answer. And, and you know, from the uh, perspective taking, we replicate a, you know, a fairly simple but effective conversational technique with uh, question, answer, answer, answer. I mean, it's not, uh, it's not Socratic debate. I mean, and, and, and I, you know, I get... Uh, Couples feedback on on the uh, the good sides and the, the the not so good sides of this, but it's kind of really amazing to to see uh, quite quickly that, that the couple can get a a flow in in their conversation, and uh, you know, oftentimes at the end of that first or second session, that, that there's a amazement on both sides that we've not had this kind of uh, conversation in a you know, a long while, we're not being able to uh, communicate. You know, I, I think uh, optimism, you know, the, the, the hope that, that uh, this therapy can be 
success or where, where, where other you know, other experiences of therapy being so painful and frustrating and just compounded the problems yeah um, so so Stephen, let's let's talk about the QAAA tool because I think it's really important for a lot of neurodiverse couples to learn how to do this. Number one, because one partner may go on and on and on and on, and the other person may respond with one word answers. And there can be frustration on both a partner sides. So can you explain a little bit about how you teach the couples that you work with how to use QAAA successfully? Yeah, I, I, I uh, do take a, a slightly humorous approach myself. I mean, I want to put the couple at, 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 at ease and I, I, I wouldn't get into any uh, finger point. But, you know, I, I say, you know, oftentimes uh, couples find that one, uh, you know, what one partner wants to have more information than the other, and the other partner is uh, somewhat uh, short in their answers. And we want to kind of create something of a, a balance in the session. And uh, the beauty of the technique, I feel, is that it uh, is great for getting, um, you know, three useful pieces of information without one partner going on for too long and it kind of disappearing down the uh, Alice in Wonderland rabbit hole of, of, right. of a lengthy story uh -huh. uh, but at the, at the same time it's not a one it's not uh, a closed answer session it's not yes and no and it, it does invite uh, the uh, the quieter partner so to speak to to respond more fully and, and, and be a little bit more thoughtful in their answers, and I, I, I think therein lies one of the, the magic parts of this technique. So you, you, one does have to uh, think about what the uh, the three answers would be, and and I think uh, you know, I observe, you know, that partner really slowing themselves down, making the three answers, and the other partner who's who's listening uh, naturally feels uh, appreciated and a sense of respect that they've really. And I put some effort in to deliver these really kind of quite nice package of three answers. It's a little bit like uh, offering someone a, a, a gift and, and you're able to uh, receive the gift and it's not lost in too many words and it's not disappointing that you get too few. Yeah, I love that. So, you know, I used to ask my ex when he came home from work how his day was or what happened at work. And he would say it was fine and walk away. And I know that that happens a lot in probably every type of relationship. But I think with neurodiverse couples, when that happens literally every single day for months and years at a time, you wonder either what you're doing wrong or maybe what your partner's hiding or why they don't trust you. You got all kinds of stories you tell yourself. So when you agree as a couple to do QAAA, then you make sure that you're both available to have a conversation. And when, if I were to ask my partner, you know, how did your day at work go? then they would respond with three sentences. Those are the three, you know, A's. 
And then they would ask me a question. And then I would answer with three A's, three sentences. But um, when you do teach couples how to use this, do you suggest to them that they address one topic at a time? So in that particular example, it would be, we would just be talking about how each other's day at work was, or do you have other suggestions? I think that's a, a beautiful question. Um, what I'm looking at in these techniques is uh, techniques that couples can and will use uh, in, in between the sessions, because I think uh, it has the test of therapy that works outside uh, the the room when the the therapist is there. So uh, you know, if I'm having weekly sessions with a couple, I, I insist that uh, they schedule at least uh, one uh, one kind of homework session each in the week. So I, I, I'm getting them again to take responsibility for scheduling, scheduling those sessions. Um, in teaching the technique, I, I, I look at uh, different approaches and I think you broadly touched on them. And what one would be something where they're, they're developing a, a theme in the relationship and the question answer answer is kind of going a, a little bit uh, deeper in that theme. Um, the other, uh, the, the other, and, and perhaps this is a, a different kind of approach. Is that there's a more, um, a more light-hearted, if you like, you know, the, the, the couple are, you know, probing for interest and connection. Mm, I like areas. that. I like uh, that. So you know, maybe you know, talking uh, about hopes and dreams or. You know what kind of adventures are you interested in exploring together, or things like that? Yeah, that that, that that's right, and and and, and uh, you know, it, it create. I, I mean, I, what I'm trying to do is to try and create uh, an opportunity that the, the couple, uh, you know, feel uh, sufficient. I mean, I I think love the word you use there, trust. Yeah, that they can create enough trust to you know make one or two baby steps forward, you know, that, that they are showing that genuine interest in each other. And, and, and I think that uh, interest and excitement is really important for them, uh, you know, as I said, to create outside the session for themselves. And, uh, you know, I, I always say that uh, the, the, the couple's role is to uh, make enough progress to uh, hire me as the therapist. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I love that. And I want to I want to tell our listeners that if you have never seen the duck bunny, you can Google it and there'll be a picture. And so you can look at that picture and one of you will probably see the duck and one of you will probably see the bunny. It's, you know, sometimes both see both. There's also another picture out there of an old lady. And if you look at it, you can also see a beautiful young lady. And then there's another perspective taking picture of uh, six. And then there's one person standing on one side of the six and sees a nine and the other person sees a six. And so I think what's so wonderful about these pictures is it can bring some light to an issue that can be really, really challenging and can create a lot of unintentional hurt and pain for neurodiverse couples because one may think 
I can't understand why my partner does not get what I'm saying or does not get why I need so much alone time or does not get why I feel emotion when somebody, you know, dies and I'm crying in a morning or whatever the perspective taking requires. So I think that's a really kind of fun way of getting folks to understand that they're dealing with two different perspectives. And then the QAAA tool gives them kind of a simple way of communicating so they both can feel heard and validated. And like you said, we're, they're building trust because once you feel heard and understood, that is a great foundation for the beginning of either rebuilding trust or building trust. So Stephen, can we talk a little bit about you know, you didn't know you were autistic when you were married. And I know your your wife was from another country. So I've heard a lot of folks who are who find out they're in neurodiverse relationships talk about how at first they thought maybe cultural differences were the reason for some of their challenges. So do you mind sharing with our listeners kind of what some of the challenges were that you experienced and, you know, did either one of you kind of chalk it up to cultural differences? Um, so my wife was from Saigon in uh, South Vietnam. We were, we had quite a beautiful courtship. We, we went all over Asia uh, and we found as soon as we uh, got married and moved into our uh, apartment in Singapore, uh, the switch flipped. Uh, I, I, and my wife was very upset in, in, in the change in me and uh, couldn't really work out what was going on. And I really couldn't understand what she, she was saying. Uh, you, you talk about... Uh, cultural differences and uh you know I, i'm i'm kind of led to this famous uh, autistic saying which is once you've met one autistic person you've met one autistic person uh, I, I i've always been fascinated by other cultures and uh in uh, autistic speak it's one of my uh areas of special interest you know i've been to uh 50 countries uh, wow to some more um, and that, that was one of the very positive things, uh, you know, in our in our relationship. We, we, we had uh, Vietnamese, you know, traditional Vietnamese food every evening. Uh, and this appeared to be uh, a strength of our relationship. And I, and I think, uh, you know, when I look back and I reflect, uh, both of us had quite a lot of... Uh, mind reading going on you know I, I expected my wife to understand that I worked uh, very hard in the day and that when I got home in the evening I was rather kind of burnt out and, and couldn't uh, respond to her you know her, her need for you know, conversation and uh, connection uh, you know and I, I really wasn't getting her and I, I could see her frustration uh, growing. I mean, she was looking for, you know, I now know that she was looking for uh, emotional validation, emotional reciprocation. Um, you know, I, I was out with spoons at the end of the day and I really couldn't uh, respond to what's going on. And, uh, you know, I was really 
angry at my wife, all this kind of nagging and criticism. You know, just leave me alone. Just give me a you know opportunity, a chance to recharge my batteries. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, those have been very powerful experiences. So when I sit down with a, a couple in the here and now, and uh, the uh, the husband gets back after a very long tiring day I, I i lean into that gentleman i say hey i really understand the pain you're so burnt out just not available you need time to calm down and i can really empathize and understand him i can get him to slow down and i can get him to be open to listening to his wife's perspective which is just as valid because she wants love and connection. She wants uh, a little bit like my wife did. My wife wanted the guy that she met in our courtship where we're going to these wonderful places and having really great times and really enjoying each other's company. And, and, you know, part of my work is to bring that kind of, uh, you know, create enough relaxed times to bring that, uh, that, that couple joy, the, uh, you know, the fun, Sunday afternoons or whatever it is, but to, to uh, get some insights and in, uh, and bring that back uh, somewhat into the relationship with with uh, date nights and so forth. But to uh, be be really honest about how much flexibility we can uh, actually achieve. But uh, you know, you uh, as you said, the, the example of my wife. I mean, she taught me. A great deal. Um, at the time, it was enormously painful. So I really understand what uh, the emotional pain in these relationships uh, looks like. And, you know, I really want to validate her frustration because uh, at the end of our relationship on uh, Christmas Eve 2015, uh, she got on an airplane and uh, flew away. And uh, that was the end of our relationship Mm. I'm so sorry Stephen I mean I I, I, I'm listening to your story and you know my heart goes out to you and every other neurodiverse couple that does not know they're neurodiverse so she left and you didn't talk to her again or how did how she just got on a plane and left yeah, that, that, that's right. I mean, she she got on a, a plane and left, and 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 we we did have a, a few conversations afterwards because uh, thereafter followed a, a lengthy and uh, painful divorce. But uh, you know, when I got back home uh, after she gone, I really uh, wanted to figure out uh, what had gone on, what what had really uh, happened, because, you know, I, I, on the outside, we had a great relationship, and we had this beautiful apartment with palm trees and the garden, and we had a, a swimming pool, and we were having uh, you know, beautiful seafood barbecues every weekend, and Singapore, I mean, um, you know, on the outside, a lot of it looked really good, and I was really introspective looking inside what had gone on here uh, and that really did lead me to look at a whole range of things which uh, has brought me to this uh, 
this podcast looking at neurodiversity because uh, all the dots lined up when I thought that uh, that that diagnosis. I mean, I really uh, understood uh, her perspective uh, for the first time when 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 I started doing this work. It, it wow. was a, it was a revelation, really. Yeah, and you know, I always say the reason that I think so many couples who choose to do the work and want to figure out how they can stay together, why they suffer, Stephen, is because they are stuck in the past and we can't change the past. I mean, I can't change the 32 years or the 31 years I spent with my ex not knowing. I can't change anything I said, anything I did, anything I screamed at him. He can't change, you know, the shutdowns or the lack of emotional reciprocity or all the different things that we didn't understand about how our brains were wired. I think that, you know, I, I don't know most couples, but I would bet, I would put a bet on it that most neurodiverse couples do not want to hurt each other at any time in their relationship, yet they do it unintentionally over and over and over again. And, you know, the biggest hurt, of course, is when the relationship ends and you both still love each other or still care deeply about each other. And I hear that over and over again from folks that, like, like you said, you didn't know what was going wrong. You know, you didn't know where the wrong turns had been made. And it, it, whatever your wife was asking for, your ex-wife was asking for at the time, it sounds like it didn't make sense to you, but now you understand it. And now you're doing this work that's helping both the autistic partner and the non-autistic partner understand that you understand both of them, which is awesome, Stephen. Yeah, thank you. I mean, I, I, I'd like to add that... Uh... I, I, as a therapist, uh, you know these uh, these sessions have been uh, incredibly uh, validating for myself. I mean, I, I, you know, the using uh, what what I saw as a curse as a as a blessing has been uh, an incredible emotional gift. It, it's been a thing of richness and uh, beauty. It's been real uh and i can't find the words really to to describe the uh the joy that i found through this work i Stephen, i totally understand um because that's how i feel about neurodiverse love and one of the things that i want to share with the listeners is that this transformation that you and i are talking about it does not happen overnight <laughs> it does not happen quickly or didn't for me i will tell you that you know, I found out in 2017 that we were a neurodiverse couple. We were separated at the time, not living under the same roof. And uh, I wanted to do the work. My ex did not. He wanted to focus on himself. And I totally understand that. And I think oftentimes for couples, they think that once they find out that one of them is, is autistic, that everything will be better and everything will change and be, you know, more positive. 
I have yet to meet a couple where that happens, Stephen. Um, I'd love to hear your perspective on that because I think the journey's just beginning once you find out you're a neurodiverse couple and each person has to do their own work and then they have to do their work as a couple. What are your thoughts? Um, I, I couldn't have articulated that uh, that that any better than yourself. I, I you know, I hear uh, in my couples uh, very often uh, the, the the spousal diagnosis. The wife has has figured out, uh, you know, rather like uh, in a Sherlock Holmes um, novel, what what is really going on here and and oftentimes you know and I've also seen it the, the, the opposite way when the uh, that the husband is uh, the neurotypical partner and the wife is the uh, has the Asperger's profile and and, and there is this uh, I mean I, I, I'm the, the, the word fantasy comes to mind I think that would perhaps unkind to, to, to use that word but there's almost like a, an expectation that as soon that as there is a formal diagnosis, uh, the, the, the problem has been somewhat resolved. But I, from my own experience, um, you know, finding out one is, is an Aspie, you know, a person with an Asperger's profile, that, that is the start of the work. And, uh, you know, I, I go on a, a little bit more than, than, than what you said. I mean, I think this is uh, a lifetime of work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The, to be in the world uh, and I'm constantly uh, encouraging couples to do the work as you say but to be curious in looking at different ways to do the work you know, I mean I, I think as we, we we get older I, I think every living thing on the planet get, gets older and none of us get any younger no. it's useful to to be very curious to, to, to look at different ideas, to look at different uh, modalities. I mean, my, my own journey is a case in point. I mean, I did a lot of work. Uh, I mean, I guess I did a lot of self-help books, uh, you know, stuff like Dale Carnegie um, and Wayne Dyer, See It and You Believe It. And, and I think those uh, still have some validity to me. And if we look at some of the techniques that, that, that Dale Carnegie t teaches us to, to kind of uh, speak uh, speak from the other person's perspective. And I think a lot of this stuff comes out in, in, in the, the therapy work that I do. Uh, you know, some of my own work, I, I'm looking at uh, mindfulness uh, meditation for, mm. the, for, for both partners, you know, to yeah. be able to... Uh, really kind of slow down, slow the brain down, uh, bring down those cortisol levels, feel more relaxed. So, uh, you know, oftentimes at the start of the session, we do a little bit of breathing to really ground ourselves to make sure that the conversations that follow are, are, are much more meaningful. And when we're coming from a, a slower, gentle place with ourselves, uh, you know, rather than kind of do, doing the old patterns that we've talked about before, where we uh, we jump in with these coping mechanisms, which are absolutely fabulous over the the short term, but uh, taken over the long term, some of our coping mechanisms are, are incredibly 
disruptive and and really uh, close down you know, close down our partner, close down the the uh, relationship. And uh, you know, again, part of my work is uh, with couples looking at the dance. What 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 is the pattern that you guys have been in for the last thirty years? And is is that pattern really serving you like you you like you wish, or would you? prefer to try some new patterns which might actually bring you what you're looking for. I I think that is wonderful. I love the term dance because I think we all do a dance. My ex used to say um, in the later years, it takes two to tango. And I say, I would say absolutely. And I know what my dance steps were in that tango that that screwed things up and I talk about them on the podcast all the time because I I really 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 think that in any relationship when it ends you have to heal you have to understand what you did that could have that could have contributed to the end of your relationship because it definitely does take two to tango it isn't a solo dance and one of the things, Stephen, that I hear over and over again is about folks that are grieving. And, you know, we know about um, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's five stages of grieving and mourning. And I think there are, um, there's a sixth or a seventh that's been added, but I'd love to talk about two pieces of that, um, specifically the anger part of grieving because I think that as folks are grieving the relationship they thought they were going to have before knowing they were a neurodiverse couple that takes time because you know many of us um, women I'm just going to say women I'm making this very gendered but I'm sure there are men and non-binary folks who have bought into the Disney princess, you know, we're all going to, you know, get married, find our prince or princess and live happily ever after. I'm sorry, but that's BS, but I, I absolutely bought into it. And so we have to grieve for what we thought our relationship would be. But then there's a lot of anger, Stephen. And I see it and I hear it over and over again in the support groups that I I uh, facilitate, and I know I felt it. And I think you and I talked a little bit about anger when we were preparing for the podcast. So do you want to talk a little bit about how you help couples, if you do help couples get through the grieving process, and then also get out of a place of anger towards each other or towards themselves, and to a better place of acceptance of what is? Yeah, um, I, I, I really uh, love what you said there. T totally uh, agree with it. I, a, a couple of points I, I, I make. I mean, the, the, the first one is that uh, anger is a, a definite part of us. It, it, it's a voice. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, a lot of the work that I, I, I do around this is to uh, look at that part of us you know, the angry part, and really uh, validate that. I mean, I, you know, that this is a real thing and it is a real uh, coping strategy. And I, I want to give the anger 
some love, some compassion, some validation. Uh, and I wanted to, the, the angry voice to feel safe enough to be able to speak in the session in a way where that anger can be heard. The, 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 the angry part of us is um, really trying to protect us. It's really trying to, it's the part of us that, that is, is looking after us. And it's uh, an adaptive child voice. It's really very uh, strong part of us. And I really want to listen to that voice uh, and to give that voice permission to be, uh, to be angry. Um, and when that voice is heard, uh, we can look at the feelings which are coming beneath it because the anger is a beautiful uh, short-term protection, but there's other voices uh, underneath. And, and those, uh, those voices really are genuine voices that really want to be seen. You know, they're voices that want to be loved and want to have the opportunity loving so so when i look at anger i have in mind to use the anger in a way where the, the anger is transformed it's allowed to go into a more creative way more uh, gentle way i mean i, I i'm working with uh, not with the gottmans uh, themselves i mean they're, they're not kind of in on this but i'm I'm looking at uh, some Gottman work around uh, dreams within conflict because uh, you know within the the anger within the uh, the conflict there are uh, there there are solutions there are um, more gentle ways forward and uh, and I'm getting couples to uh, listen to each other and uh, and and these kind of uh, longer spells of talking where uh, which kind of I mean I think it kind of relates to what we said earlier about the question answer answer and and, and there's a set script there where one partner is very curious and that, that they're asking some really uh, interesting questions of the other partner but they're always just to ask the questions and then they they listen to the answers, and, and, and I think that uh, being listened to um, in, in a quite, uh, I, I wouldn't like to say repetitive, but, but you know, being given plenty of opportunity to be listened to um, without judgment is it, very healing mm -hmm. to, uh, to, the, to the angry voice, because the angry voice is looking for healing. Yes. Oh my gosh, Stephen, that is so important. And I hope that our listeners are really going to hear that, whether they're the autistic partner or the non-autistic partner, because anger really is just data. And, you know, if we look beneath the anger, I really do feel that it's oftentimes related to an unmet need. So when I would get angry at my ex-husband, when he would come home late from work, I wasn't angry because he was home late. 
I was angry because I had to eat dinner alone by myself for another night. I was angry because I had just watched our favorite show and had to do it alone. And I missed him. I was angry because I wanted hugs and he was still at work way past the time, you know, everybody else had left. The anger was a symptom of an unmet need, but I did not communicate that to him in a way that he could hear me. I didn't do it with kindness. I didn't do it with compassion. I didn't do it with grace. I didn't even do it with respect. I'm not saying every time I screamed at him, um, but, but now understanding that I just, I, I have so much empathy for other neurodiverse couples who are struggling with so much anger and grief. And if they can really take time to be curious and slow down and, and probably they need to work with a third party, a therapist or coach to really unpack that, maybe they can get to those kind of dreams like you talked about, dreams within conflict that Gottman, you know, talks about different ways to get there. Dreams they had or have that aren't being fulfilled and are impacting them through anger and creating conflict. I love that, Stephen. I love it. It's awesome. And I, I think um, you had, did you have more you wanted to share on that? Oh, there's, uh, there's always more. Um, <laughs> it's okay. I, mean, I, I think from my own uh, therapist perspective, um, it is uh, a learning journey to to uh, find the things that work. I mean, you know, we, we talked a little bit about uh, Richard Sports with the uh, internal systems and the parts work. And, you know, I, I think that's uh, very rich. And, and, and Sue Johnson with her emotionally focus therapy and uh, and the dance and some of the uh, some of the roles there uh you know we talked about the Gottman and I, I think when you were talking about unmet need I, I just had a picture in my mind of uh Esther Perel so I mean mm. that there's yeah we we could uh we could spend weeks and months and years looking at uh, some of the approaches but but for me to try and um you know on my own uh trust my own intuition and, and, and look at the things which I think is going to work for a, a particular couple because, you know, as we're all individuals, there's no couple which is uh, the same as a, a, another couple. And, you know, I think that's as I get more experienced, I'm able to uh, deploy those interventions better and better. And that, that's my hope and prayer that I'm able to do so. And uh, I'm grateful for the opportunity to... Uh, have all these couples come in and uh, love each and every one of them. That's awesome. So Stephen, we're really at the end of our conversation and it's been such a wonderful conversation. And I know it's going to be so helpful to a lot of our listeners. And I have listeners from all over the world, which is so exciting. And I'm wondering if there's any last bit of insight that you'd like to offer or um, something that you experienced on your own learning journey and your own neurodiverse journey 
Just one last thing that you'd like to share, and then I'd love for you to share how our listeners can reach out to you if they're interested in working with you. Um, yeah, I think the, 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 the biggest lesson I've, I've learned in this work is, I mean, I, I, I'd like to share too, actually. I'm going to be uh, somewhat greedy. To, to, no, no, no. Go ahead. I'd love it. Um, you know, the first one is is incredibly simple. I mean, I think if one can do the breathing, can slow down very gently, be to regulate and go inside and to uh, talk about the, the, the need. I mean, it's, uh, we've got a fast paced life out there. I mean, we're, we're kind of rushing around and we're, uh, you know, trying to get the job worked and then we're worried about the US inflation. But I think if we can slow ourselves down and really connect with that uh, in part of ourselves uh, in a, in a compassion, self-compassionate way, we're able to uh, share what we're, what we're really feeling. It, it, it is there. Um, you know, the second thing personally is, uh, is to be open for uh, what, what, what life uh, can teach us, you know, what, what we can learn off uh, various experiences. I mean, I, I started this uh, Tai Chi um, 30 years or so uh, ago. Um, and, and, you know, the people I've met, the places I've been, it's just been such an amazing uh, experience to, you know, the, you know a, apply that stuff. It's, you know, the Tai Chi is about finding uh, gentleness uh, in ourselves and finding gentleness and, and balance in, in, in conflicts. And, uh, you know, I guess if I would like to share a, final takeaway message is, is to be able to find that uh, balance in the self and balance in some of these really quite difficult emotional situations. Mm. So that's a wonderful way to end our conversation because one of the things that I realized both in my marriage and uh, the longer relationship I had after my divorce was how important uh, self-regulation is um, for our nervous system and how easily we can get dysregulated. And I'm raising both hands on that. I got dysregulated often in my marriage and in the relationship that I had after my marriage, I was not dysregulated very often because I had done a lot of work on that because I knew that my energy and my way of coping was not only impacting me in a negative way, it was impacting my marriage in a negative way. And I also realized it impacted my daughter in a negative way. And I wasn't aware of all of that. And that self-awareness, slowing down to, to learn about yourself, to learn about your nervous system, and to learn about your partner and how you can co-regulate. Oh my gosh, it's wonderful. So Stephen, I can't thank you enough for sharing, for being vulnerable, for being open and so authentic. It's so helpful when our listeners hear other people's stories, whether they're the autistic partner or the non-autistic partner, or they hear from a couple. And you know, having therapists who understand what the couples are going through because they themselves have been in a neurodiverse relationship and didn't know it. 
So thank you for sharing all that. And I know there's going to be folks that want to reach out to you. So what will be the best place for them to contact you? Uh, the best place to contact me is through the Neurodiverse Couples Counseling Centre uh, based in San Jose. We, we've got a, a wonderful website. Uh, you know, we've got some great resources there. And uh, you know, I think that's also helpful for couples. But uh, uh, look at my profile there and you can uh, schedule a consult with me. And uh, I look forward to uh, meeting you all in the near future.